Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. I'm your host, Pastor Michael Howard, the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church, and this podcast is for anyone inside or outside of Seaford Baptist Church who is living the pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And this is the creepy episode. That's why I'm talking in this bad, semi-creepy voice. That's why we have the semi-creepy music. It's the Salem Witch Trials episode of Pilgrim Devotion. And so I'm so glad that you have joined us. We are doing this because we had a listener request it. They said, hey, as as the time of trunk or treats, the time of fall festivals and candy corn and mellow cream comes around... Uh, Pumpkin spice. Listen, are we going to use the H word on this Baptist podcast? Let's just say it. As the time of Halloween approaches, as October 31st rolls around in the calendar, you should do a Salem Witch Trials episode. And I thought that's a grand idea. And so that's what we're going to do. Let's look under the hood. Let's see what really happened with the Salem Witch Trials. That's why this listener suggested it. They said, I've always wanted to know what really went on there. And I don't know that I have all the answers, but I'm excited to discuss it on this podcast next week. We will talk about something that is actually more important uh, in terms of October 31st. We'll talk about the Protestant Reformation. More specifically, I'm just going to talk about how I came to be in contact with and believe in Reformed theology. Uh, I have been asked that probably more than anything in terms of questions I've been asked since I've been the pastor of Seaford Baptist Church. If I had to give you a Mount Rushmore of questions, right, a top four, that would certainly be on it. How did you come to believe in Reformed theology? Well, I'm going to talk about it next week as we approach October 31st and yet another anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to that door. So uh, looking forward to doing that, but this week it is all about the Salem Witch Trials. I did a little bit of research for this. Uh, I'm not an expert. I'm relying heavily on the timeline that is provided on the actual SalemWitchMuseum.com. And then I also pulled uh, a timeline from the Smithsonian uh, mag.com that is really helpful. I've listened to a few podcasts. I watched a couple of YouTube videos and I'm ready to go. Okay. So, uh, my plan here is just kind of give you all a rundown of what happened. It's incredibly interesting. If you don't love history, you might get lost in the weeds here a little bit. I hope not. I hope that I can present this in a compelling way. And then as we get toward the end, we'll just kind of make some observations to wrap it up. So here we go the Salem Witch Trials, and uh, to get to the trials, we got to back up to January of 1692, when the Sanderson sisters, no, I'm just joking, <laughs> okay, that's not real, all right, hocus pocus, not real, sisters, no, not real, uh, here's the real deal, January 1692, you have a pastor, Reverend Samuel Paris of the Sam- Salem Village, and uh, his daughter, who was nine years old, Betty Paris, Elizabeth Paris, she gets ill. She falls ill. And then his 11-year-old niece, Abigail Williams, also becomes ill. And they have a month of fasting and, and prayer and, and, and medicine at home. And, and Betty and Abigail have not improved. And so they get examined by a doctor. Experts believe it to be local physician William Griggs. And the doctor pronounces this sickness, this illness, to be caused by bewitchment. Says this is the work of sorcery. So February 25th, 
And, and it's incredible we have these dates. It's all really well documented because of uh, what happened really afterwards, which we'll get into at the end. But February uh, 25th, 1692, Mary Sibley to Chuba and John Indian give some suggestions to the Paris family. Mary Sibley is a neighbor. Tachuba and John Indian are people who are enslaved. They're working in the household of Samuel Paris, and they're married. Tachuba's married to John Indian. And they say, you should make a witch cake, which is like this attempt to counter the magic of whoever has bewitched these girls, which they believe these girls are bewitched on the account of this doctor. So even though this sort of stuff is strongly discouraged in Puritan New England, uh, it was actually pretty common. Like people would try things like this at home. And this charm, uh, this counter magic called for the, the urine, the pee of the girls that were sick to be mixed up with rye meal. And it created this cake and then it was baked on hot ashes and it was fed to a dog. And this was somehow going to harm the witch responsible for hurting the children. Around this time, 12-year-old Ann Putnam Jr., whose family is very important in all of this, and a 17-year-old named Elizabeth Hubbard, they also fall sick with this illness. They become afflicted. And they claim to be attacked by invisible specters, apparitions. So all this is happening at the end of February, right around the time of February 25th. At the very end of February, on February 29th, the girls involved name three women. So now we have people being accused for the first time officially February 29th. And the accused women are Tachuba, the servant in the household, Sarah Good, who was a homeless beggar in the Salem village, and Sarah Osborne. So we have two Sarahs, Sarah Good and then Sarah Osborne. She wasn't homeless, but she was kind of known around the village as an eccentric, impoverished woman. March 1st rolls around. Tachuba, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne are examined. Not put on trial uh, because there was no charter in the village at the time, so they couldn't be put on trial, and I'll get to that in a moment. So not on trial. They're just examined in the meeting house of, of Salem Village by John Hathorne and John, uh, John Corwin, Jonathan Corwin. They're the magistrates. And Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne, they maintain that they are not witches. They haven't done anything. They haven't hexed anybody. They're not sending uh, specters to afflict people. But under pressure, Tachuba says, yes, I am a witch. And Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne are also witches and tells the magistrates there are more witches. She's not sure of their identities, but there are more witches. March 3rd rolls around. Elizabeth Paris... Abigail Williams, so that's the daughter of Pastor uh, Samuel Paris, and then his niece, who initially were sick, and Elizabeth Hubbard. Elizabeth Hubbard was the 17-year-old who fell ill uh, around the end of February. They're recovered. But even though they're recovered, Anne Putnam Jr., the 12-year-old who also fell ill at the end of February, she is not recovered. And she claims that she is seeing the specters of Martha Corey, Dorothy Good, who is the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good, the homeless beggar, and Elizabeth Proctor, a woman who was in Salem Village. Martha Corey 
She is an upstanding church member. I want you to think of like one of the most respected women in your church, okay? And that's Martha Corey. And when she gets accused of this by Ann Putnam, this 12-year-old, it shakes up the whole village of Salem because they're like, well, if Martha Corey could be a witch, anybody could be a witch. It didn't, <laughs> you would think it might shake them up in the sense like, well, okay, well, this is crazy. If we're accusing Martha, this is crazy. No, it kind of went the opposite way. They're like, well, if Martha's a witch, okay, so you can see that panic is starting to stir at this point. March 13th, 1692. So this has been going on for about three and a half months. Uh, or I'm sorry, about two and a half months. Ann Putnam, that 12-year-old, she allegedly sees another specter this time. And this is I, this is the creepy episode. This is the creepy episode. All right? This is creepy. If you are listening to this with kids in the car, you might want to <laughs> turn it down or something so they don't have bad dreams tonight. But Ann Putnam, the 12-year-old, sees an unknown woman sitting in her grandmother's chair. And... It is suggested to her, historians think, by her mother, Ann Putnam Sr., and the 17-year-old servant in the household, Mercy Lewis, that this is actually the 71-year-old Salem Village resident, Rebecca Nurse. That's who this woman is. That's Rebecca Nurse. And so not long after that, Mercy Lewis, the 17-year-old servant, she falls ill. She's being tormented by the same mysterious affliction as Ann Putnam Jr., and then on March 18th, five days after they accuse, you know, Rebecca Nurse, uh, Ann Putnam Sr., who's 31, the mother of Ann Putnam Jr., she also reports that she's being tormented by Spectre. And now she's one of the first adult women who claim to be afflicted. And so two and a half months in, we have now adult women saying that they are seeing uh, these specters, they are being tormented and they are ill, they are sick in the same way that Abigail Williams and Elizabeth Paris were in the beginning. March 21st, three days after that, Martha Corey, that upstanding church member, she's arrested and they take her to uh, Ingersoll's Ordinary in Salem Village and she is actually held there for trial. Three days after that, March 24th, after getting arrested the day before, Rebecca Nurse, that 71-year-old who was accused of being of sending her specter to, to torment uh, Ann Putnam Jr., she gets examined before those magistrates, Hathorne and Corwin. She says she's innocent, uh, but the spectral evidence, meaning the, the, the witness of the afflicted, okay, the witness of these tormented girls— it's enough for the magistrates to say, we don't care what you say, you're, you're guilty. And she is sent to the Salem jail under the suspicion of being a nurse, uh, a nurse, excuse me, a, a witch. Her name is Rebecca Nurse. Uh, that's why the slip of the tongue. She's a nurse. We have to get her. No, uh, the 71-year-old Rebecca Nurse is sent to Salem jail, accused of being a witch. She's being held for trial. April 2nd, suspicion at this point, it's not just stirring, it is a wildfire spreading throughout the village. Three months in to the situation, Abigail Williams, she is uh, the 11-year-old niece of Reverend Paris who was initially tormented. She says that Elizabeth Proctor is tormenting her, that her specter is in her, uh, her, you know, in her life, it's following her around day and night. John Proctor, the husband of Elizabeth, 
he is watching his 20-year-old servant, Mary Warren, because he thinks she might be a witch. But Mary, she says, no, I'm being afflicted. During the trial of Rebecca Nurse, she says, Rebecca Nurse is afflicting me. In this environment where everybody's accusing one another, Mary eventually says, uh, you know what, actually, I'm okay. She posts a note on the door of the meeting house, and she requests uh, you know, prayers, and she uh, thanks everybody basically you know, for the prayers they've given, and, and she says that she's okay. So she kind of bows out of the scene for, uh, for the time. April 11th rolls around. Elizabeth Proctor, she has been arrested at this point, as has the sister of Rebecca Nurse. Her name is Sarah Cloyce. They get examined in Salem Town. John Indian, the husband of Tachuba, he's now saying he's afflicted. He's at the proceedings testifying against people who are being accused of being witches, even though his own uh, wife was accused of being a witch. During the examination, uh, those that are that are essentially testifying that they're being afflicted, they become violently afflicted on the spot. And so John Proctor gets taken into custody, the husband of Elizabeth Proctor. Sarah Cloyce and the Proctors are all held for trial. A week later, four more suspected witches get arrested. Giles Corey, who is the husband of Martha Corey, that upstanding church member. He's an interesting one. Um, I'll get to him in a moment. Abigail Hobbs gets arrested. Bridget Bishop is arrested. Her name is important. She, she has uh, historical significance. We'll get to her in a second as well. And then Mary Warren. You remember her? She was the 20-year-old servant who was afflicted. Remember how John Proctor was kind of eyeing her? Well, it turns out they think she's a witch as well, even though John Proctor is also being held for trial. So now Pretty much everybody from the Proctor house uh, is in trouble. All of those adults are in trouble. Abigail Hobbs breaks down under this examination on April 18th. She's now the second person to confess. And in the coming weeks, more are going to be arrested, not just from Salem. Uh, there's going to be people coming from towns and villages miles away, like George Burroughs, who on May 4th, he comes to Salem. He was a pastor in Salem 13 years before. And I guess he had left some 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 bad uh, feelings, you know. Pe- people didn't care for him on his way out the door. He is now brought back because people are saying that he is haunting uh, folks with specters all the way from where he is currently ministering in Wells, Maine. So he's brought back, and he is going to be put on trial. May 10th, Sarah Osborne dies in prison. You remember her? Sarah Osborne was the impoverished, eccentric woman. She's the first casualty of the Salem witch trials because she just dies in prison as she's being held for trial. May 14th, Increase Mather. Now, the Mathers, Increase and his son Cotton, are very prominent names in Puritan New England history. He comes back from New England, and he has a new charter and a new governor at his side, Sir William Phipps. The Massachusetts Bay Colony had actually had their charter revoked in 1684. And so until the new charter was issued for this period, basically of eight years, they're operating in legal limbo, in this sort of legal vacuum. And that is why at this point they were just holding people for trial and having these examinations to see whether or not they're witches, but they couldn't actually have trials. But now that a charter comes, now that a court can be formed... 
they can actually have the official Salem witch trials. So on May 27th, Governor Phipps says we need a special court, the court of, of Oyer and Terminer, which means the court that hears and determines. And this is the court that will try the witchcraft uh, cases. May 31st, at the request of one of the magistrates that's appointed to the court, John Richards, as well as uh, on the advice of Cotton Mather, who is uh, giving, you know, has, has some things to say about the, the trial. They say, let's not use spectral evidence. Okay. Richards and Mather, who is Cotton Mather's the son of Increase, they're saying, don't use spectral evidence. Spectral evidence is the appearance of apparitions that only the afflicted could, could see. So if, if you say that I have sent a specter to torment you, you're saying, well, I see, I see Michael's specter tormenting me. And I say, well, no, 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 I, I haven't done that. And others could say, I don't see it, right? But it doesn't matter. If the afflicted says they see it, it's spectral evidence. And so Cotton Mather... And the magistrate, John Richards, say, I, I don't think it's a good idea that, that that is the, you know, that that evidence is used in the courts, basically. But ultimately, they leave it up to the, the judgment of, of all the magistrates. June 2nd, Bridget Bishop is tried. Remember her? I said she has historical significance. She's tried and she is condemned at the first official sitting of the, the Salem court uh, of Oyer and Terminer. And sometime after this, the judge who presides, Nathaniel, Sa I'm not going to be able to say his name, Saltonstall, Nathaniel Saltonstall, uh, he resigns because he ultimately is not satisfied with the court's proceedings. It he thinks this is a kangaroo court, so he removes himself from it. But nonetheless, eight days later, on June the 10th, 1692, Bridget Bishop is executed on Proctor's Ledge uh, at Gallows Hill in Salem, and she becomes the first person to be executed during the trials. June 15th, 12 pastors of the colony now join to say what John Richards and Cotton Mather were saying. You should not be retire, uh, relying so much on this spectral evidence in order to obtain these uh, convictions of guilt. But the court just blows past this. The court ignores this advice, and the court continues to allow spectral evidence to, to not just be brought into the cases, but to be pretty primary in the considerations. July 19th, Rebecca Nurse, remember her, the 71-year-old who was accused of being a, a witch. Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Howell, Sarah Good, who was initially uh, accused, the homeless woman, and Sarah Wilds, they are all executed on Proctor's Ledge. When Sarah Good, that homeless woman, ascends the gallows, one of the pastors who's there, Nicholas Noyes, says, Confess and save your soul. And she replies, you are a liar. I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. And if you take my life, God will give you blood to drink. Man, strong words from a dying beggar. 
strong words from a dying beggar. August the 19th, George Jacobs, Martha Carrier, George Burroughs, remember that pastor they hauled in from uh, all the way from Maine? Uh, John Proctor, if you recall the Proctor family, and John Willard are all hanged. George Burroughs, the pastor from Maine, recites the Lord's Prayer in perfection on the gallows before they hang him. And the reason that that is significant is that that was supposedly a task that witches were not able to do. You couldn't do it without error if you're a witch, but he did it. Cotton Mather, and this is, this is, this is tough on old Cotton, he insisted that Burroughs should still die, that it was just because the devil has often been transformed into an angel of light. September 19th, one month later, still 1692, 71-year-old Giles Corey is taken to an open field near Salem Jail and is pressed to death under heavy stones. Uh, man, Giles Corey's story is, is kind, of, kind of crazy. So he was the husband of Martha, that upstanding churchwoman, and initially he actually testified against her and said that he thought she was a witch. But then he came back and he recanted his testimony. And because he recanted his testimony, they now think that he is a witch. And so he gets put on trial. And this old man stands mute, meaning he would not, he, he refused to, to speak. He refused to be tried by God and country. And the court of Oyer and Terminer strictly held to the requirement that the defendant would put himself on the country. And because he refused and he stood mute, then basically uh, he, is, he, he is going to be killed. Uh, and they take him and to an open field, even though he never stood trial uh, officially. And they pressed him to death under heavy stones because he refused to recognize the authority of the court. So being pressed under heavy stones means that over a matter of days, they just kept laying weight on him until he was crushed. Famously, his last words were more weight because he was going to die. He was like, you will kill my body, but you're not going to get me to testify in this ridiculous kangaroo court. It is the only time that that method of torture, of, of crushing somebody by weight, being pressed to death, uh, it's the only time that that method of torture and execution has been used in the United States of uh, America um, as a result of someone like being tangled in a court case. And it's the only time it was used in colonial New England. September 22nd, Martha Corey, his wife, Margaret Scott, Mary Eastie, who was the sister of Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Cloyce, a woman named Alice Parker, a woman named Ann Pudiator, Wilmot Red, Samuel Wardwell, and Mary Parker are all hanged. And this is the final date of execution for the Salem Witch Trials. Notice no one was burned. Um, a lot of people think that the witches uh, were burned. That's just kind of like a cultural thing that people have come to uh, assume. But no witches were burned there. Uh, it was all uh, people that were being hanged. So September 22nd, 1692 is the final date of execution. On October 3rd, 1692, 
10 months or, or sorry, nine months, I should say, nine full months after the whole thing kicked off, uh, Increase Mather, father of Cotton Mather, uh, the one who had returned with the charter, he addresses a meeting of ministers in Cambridge, and he says, we should not be doing this relying on spectral evidence business. And he says it were better that 10 suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. October 29th, public opinion is turning against the trials. A lot of people actually think that Martha Corey's death is one of the reasons that public opinion really turns. September 22nd, she's executed on that last date of execution, and her and her husband were such respected people in the village that a lot of people believe that that's when public opinion really turned, and people were like, man, I don't know about this. And so Governor Phipps dissolves the court of Oyer and Terminer, the court uh, that was hearing the trials. December 14th, the lower house passes the act against conjuration and witchcraft uh, dealing with evil and wicked spirits. And what this law does is it says that witchcraft is a felony offense. It's punishable by death, but it lessens the penalties for minor acts of magic, like if you're just trying to find love or tell the future or, or just trying to, you know, trying to make somebody a little bit sick, okay? Uh, we're not going to kill you for that. And so you can see it's trying to do away with this idea that anybody who's a witch needs to die right now. December 16th of that year, in response to a bunch of individuals being accused of witchcraft still just sitting in jail, the general court of um, the general court determines the Massachusetts Superior Court will meet for a special session, which will take place on January 3rd, 1693. And they're going to oversee the remaining cases. And on that date, the Superior Court condemns just three of 56 persons that have been accused of witchcraft. The Chief Justice signs death warrants for those three and for five others who had been previously convicted by the Court of Oyer and Terminer in 1692, and the next date of execution is set for February. But on January 31st, Governor Phipps, he inserts himself. He issues reprieves for all eight of those that are scheduled for execution. As long as they can pay their jail fees, they are free to go. Sadly, on March 10th, 1693, Lydia Dustin, 79-year-old resident of Reading, Massachusetts, she dies in jail. She had been cleared of her charges, but she was too poor to pay her jail fees, and so she just dies in jail awaiting her release. April 1696, Pastor uh, Samuel Paris, Reverend Paris, he steps down as the minister of Salem Village. So that's uh, about four years after all of this took place. In January 14th, uh, on January 14th, 1697, the Massachusetts General Court orders a day of public fasting and prayer uh, over these errors that were made by the colony during the witchcraft trials. So just just uh, five years later, they are doing this. And on that day, January 14, 1697, 12 jurors of the court of Oyer and Terminer, they come back and they sign a statement and they apologize for their role in the trials. And Samuel Sewell, who served as a magistrate in 1692, he stands before his church congregation. And his pastor reads this prepared statement aloud where Sewell acknowledges basically his shame for his role in the trial 
uh, in all the trials, and he asks God to forgive him of his sins publicly in front of his church. In 1698, a new minister comes to the village. His name is uh, Joseph Green. He's 22 years old, and he does an amazing thing. I, I thought this was so beautiful. He tries to bring peace and reconciliation to the church parishioners, and he arranges the seating within the meeting house, forcing the accusers and the accused to sit side by side because they had not gotten past the fact that like you, people in my family died because you accused them of being witches, or people in my family were in jail for a year because you accused them of being a witch, or people who still kind of were side-eyeing other people, going, yeah, I know that they got cleared, but I, I still don't trust her. You know what I mean? This pastor came in and was like, you're all going to sit together. August 26, 1706, Ann Putnam Jr., do you remember her, the 12-year-old? She is 27. She's an adult now. She's only four years younger than her mother was when all this stuff happens. So 1706 rolls around. 27-year-old Ann Putnam Jr. wants to join the Salem Village Church. And she stands before the congregation. And this pastor, Joseph Green, this reverend, reads her statement of faith. And in her declaration, she apologizes for her role in the trials. She attributes her actions to a delusion of the devil. And to this date, she's the only afflicted witness to ever publicly acknowledge wrongdoing uh, in the in the trials and, and in the accusations. October 17th, 1711, the Massachusetts legislature uh, approves the reversal of the civil liberties being removed of those 12 individuals who were executed, restores their civil liberties historically, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a gesture, but it is, it is a very good gesture, and Seven of those uh, who were condemned but not executed in 1692 but never had their civil liberties officially restored, they also get them uh, restored. And then you fast forward all the way to 1945. And in 1945, a bill is introduced in the legislature that clears the remaining names of those that are convicted during the trials. And this bill is championed actually by the descendants of Ampudiator, one of the women who was was uh, hanged during the trials. And then in 1957, 12 years later, a resolution is passed that pardons Ampudiator and certain other persons. But those other persons are not formally named in the legislature. In 1953, Arthur Miller's The Crucible comes out, which is basically a retelling, a fictional retelling uh, it's kind of like these, uh, the mock, it's not mockumentaries. What are they called now? These docu-series that are kind of like, they have real actors. They have actors in them playing real people. And it's it's kind of elaborated, um, an elaborated version of what actually happened. Uh, like they did the OJ trial and Cuba Gooding Jr. played OJ. Uh, it, you know, Arthur Miller's The Crucible was that on some level. Like Giles Corey is actually a character in it, even though he's a bit different than he is in in real life um but the crucible was supposed to be a metaphor for what was happening in the uh sort of what arthur miller perceived to be a witch hunt for communists uh during that era uh you know the whole mccarthyism and all of that so that comes out and that that certainly reignited an interest in the salem witch trials 
October 2001. Those missing names from that 1945 bill are finally added to, uh, or actually the 1957 resolution, are finally added to it. And so Susanna Martin, Bridget Bishop, who was the first one to be executed, Alice Parker, Margaret Scott, Wilmot Red, they're all formally cleared of all witchcraft charges. And then in August 2021, there was actually, uh, through the work of historians, uh, the discovery that there was a woman named Elizabeth Johnson Jr. who was the final name that had not been cleared. She had been wrongly convicted of witchcraft, but her name had not been cleared. For some reason, it was just overlooked in the work to clear things. And so it's, it was a historian named Richard Height and also an eighth grade class in North Andover, Massachusetts, who heard about this. And they took it to the legislature. And ultimately, uh, in 2021, the name of Elizabeth Johnson Jr. is cleared. So we're going to stop there. I'm going to do a part two where we're going to talk about kind of what we can make of all this, and we will, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So we'll stop here uh, with the timeline, and just in case you don't come back around from part two, uh, it feels weird to kind of ask these questions after talking about the Salem Witch Trials, but maybe uh, listening to uh, all of this has in some way uh, been convicting to you, I don't know. Uh, but uh, let me just ask you, Christian, how is your soul doing? Like, how are you doing? Also, I want to ask you, how is God's grace at work in your life? What are the evidences of his grace sanctifying you and his grace advancing you in holiness, uh, his grace killing sin uh, in your life, there's sin that you're, being, that you're putting to death? Uh, what, are, are, are you seeing his grace at work in your life? And, and if not, if, there's, if, if you're like, you know, I really feel like I need to see God's grace at work in my life more, I feel like I am in some way... Uh, harming my fellowship with God because I am living in some sort of unrepentant sin or some sort of unbelief uh, that I've been harboring or some sort of bitterness that's in my heart, whatever it may be that is hindering your fellowship with the uh, the Spirit of God and uh, with your Savior, well then, uh, you know, reach out and talk to us about that. If you're like, yeah, I, I, I want to see God's grace at work in my life more. I, I need to talk to a pastor. Reach out to us. We would love to speak to you. Connect at SeafordBaptist.com. With all that in mind, we're going to go ahead and break it off here. Until next time, keep living that pilgrim life representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. Part two is on the way.